Hello, my name is Chris Bay and welcome to my podcast on the fourth official with guest. My guest today is Kilt figure and former Rangers goalkeeper Andy Firth. Andy, thanks for agreeing to do this. How are you, mate? Yeah, all good. Thanks. All good. Just uh, just chilling on holiday with the mission at the moment. So just got my feet up and, and enjoying the sun. Yeah, sounds good, mate. Back here, we've had decent weather since you've been away, but it was raining all day yesterday. So you'll not be missing that, I'm sure. <laughs> no, the, uh, that's one thing I definitely won't miss about Scotland is the weather. <laughs> I mean, this is technically our summer. It was just raining all day. So, yes, as you say, you're probably used to that, but you'll, as you say, no, you'll not be missing it too much, especially sitting there in Greece, nice and sunny. Um, exactly. We'll just have a quick uh, rundown of your career before Rangers, before we start speaking about everything Rangers related. Obviously, you were at Liverpool. When did you join Liverpool um, and when did you leave? Uh, so I signed for Liverpool at 11, 20 under 11. So, um, so yeah, I've signed at the end of the under 11 season and I left Liverpool at 22. You're a Liverpool fan? Yeah, Liverpool fan. Yeah, so uh, yeah, it was um, a bit of a strange one. I was born in, obviously born in Yorkshire. Uh, I moved up to Cumbria when I was seven, and then it was my tenth birthday present or something like that, or eleventh birthday present. I went to the uh, the academy at Liverpool for like a soccer school in the Easter holidays. Um, so just went down there for three days, four days. Um, I was just messing around, and I never used to be a goalkeeper. I used to hate playing in goal. Um, we did like a little penalty shootout competition kind of thing. Um, and I was just the idiot who decided to go in goal and made a couple of saves, and the goalie coach just stood behind the goal watching me, and then um, and he just said, oh, we need to speak to your dad when he comes and picks you up, let, let me know when he's here, and I had a chat with my dad, and he was like, Is it, he looks like a good goalkeeper, can we bring him in on trial kind of thing, so it was um, a bit of a fluke how it all happened and, and stuff like that, but yeah, it was a, a crazy start to the story. Yeah, the, the rest, as I say, is history. So like, I'm, I'm trying to work out uh, kind of a mental arithmetic here. So were you at Liverpool when they won in Istanbul? No, I signed... I'm pretty sure I signed the year after they won the FA Cup. Right. 2007. See, I'd have been 11, yeah, 2007. Yeah, yeah. So it was still a pretty successful Liverpool team, obviously, Rafa Benitez and, and Steven Gerrard obviously was in the absolute peak. What, what was it like to kind of... Did, did you mix with those kind of the first team players a lot? Did you see them, or were you just kind of more predominantly involved with the youth setup? Um, obviously, as I got older, I did. Yeah, um, my first training session at Melwood, I was sixteen. Um, just before that was when Brendan Rodgers had just come. Um, so there was a international break like two weeks before the season started, and um, Pepe Reina had gone away, and who else was there? Might have even been Pete Galatsky was there actually. Oh, yeah. He was away with Hungary. Yeah. Um, the only keeper there at the first team was Brad Jones. It was literally just me and Brad Jones. Um, and that was my first ever taste of of, uh, of the first team actually training in with it. And like, all the big dogs were there. Suarez was there, Gerard, Carragher. Um, so, yeah. So, like, as a Liverpool fan, I was just like, it was just surreal. And then you soon, you soon realise how good they are. Yeah, yeah, because the, the Liverpool goalkeeping coach is it John Outerberg? Al- 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 John Outerberg, yeah. Al- he he's he's a bit of a, you know, a hero down there for Liverpool, isn't he? He's he's he's, he's, a, he's a bit like yourself, a kilt figure. Yeah, big John's. Um, so 
So John got taken up to the first team when Roy Hodgson took over, um, and Roy Hodgson's goalie coach can't. I think he's, I think he was an older guy. I can't remember his name, but like he can't do any of the serving stuff. So we just go out on the pitch and kind of tell the lads what to do. But they needed someone to actually do all the serving and like take the actual session for him. So that's when John moved up from the reses. Um, so that was in like 2010, and John's just stuck there ever since through uh, obviously Roy Kenny. Uh, Rogers and, and now with Clock as well. So John's yeah probably done the first team for 11, 12 years now, which that helped me a lot because obviously John used to take the kids before he did the first team. So yeah. um, I had John for probably four years before he went up there. So I had a good relationship with him and, and still do now, to be fair. So it definitely helped the younger keepers having like someone on the inside and someone who knows you well before you even step in the door. So that definitely helps a lot. Did, did you work with uh, Michael Beale? Yeah, yeah, Bielsi, uh So Bielsi came in my under-16 season and took the under-16 job. So um, that was the first time I met him. Um, did a full season in the 16s with him. Then obviously moved up to the 18s and had two years with Neil Critchley, who was the Blackpool manager who's just gone to Villa now to replace Bielsi as the number two. Um, and then for my two... I went on loan a couple of times when I was in the Reses, but I think it was three years in the Reses and Bielsi was the Bielsi was the manager for two and two and a half then three years, something like that. And and obviously Mix just got the job at QPR. Um, can you give us a wee bit of an insight, just what he's like as a as a, as a reserve manager and secondly what he was like at Rangers? Obviously he gets a lot of credit has been the kind of brains behind the operation. Um, Gerard relied heavily on him. I don't think that's too controversial to say. I think actually Stephen Gerard has, has said that himself. Do you, so what was what was he like as a coach, both as a reserve and obviously with Rangers? And do you think he's going to make it as a manager with QPR? Um, so the, the best. So obviously Adam in the 16s, Resi is first team. So like that's three big. That's three different levels, like 16s, it's still, you're still kids, but you're trying to like become a little bit more serious. That's when we kind of went full time. Um, then obviously, Res is, is probably the hardest job in football. It was Bills who said this himself, like, because you're in the Res, no one ever actually wants to be there. Yeah. So, like, obviously, when you step up from the 18 for like the first six months, you love it and you're buzzing, and I'm in the Res, and then you soon realize, like, I want to go and be in a first team, whether that's at whatever club you're at or go out on loan and get real football um, it's quite a hard job and people will always get taken away from you whether they go on loan or go up to the first team like you're never fully in control so um, and then obviously he went up to the first team with he, did, he had a the spell in Brazil at Sao Paulo and obviously did the first team at Rangers and his sessions are all like they just I think anyone who's ever worked with Mick will, will just just rave about it is unbelievable. He's, he's the best coach I've ever worked with. Um, he just sees the game in a like he just sees a different game to everyone I've ever met. Just and he makes everything. He's like we had a massive thing at, at Rangers, especially in the last last year and the start of this year, just on clarity. Like no matter who you are, what position you play, you need to know your role inside out, and you need to know your mate's role inside out. Like we should all be able to take a meeting or take a session and coach everyone else through each role on the pitch like and it, it, I think that helped us a lot um, especially in Europe especially in the early days of Europe when like 
the first squad that the Gaffer and Mick inherited wasn't the squad it is now. Um, but obviously, they've always qualified for the European group stages, um, had some massive results in the last three, four years. Um, and that kind of set the the foundation for, for what happened in obviously this season and, and last season as well. So, um, Beals is just, yeah, he's absolutely incredible. And hopefully, um, hopefully he'll go and do, do what I expect him to do at QPR because I think he's, he's the best I've ever worked with and I fully expect him to, to keep kicking on and on and on. I have to say, as a Rangers fan, um, I'm very, very happy with, with Gio. Uh, but after the Gio era finishes, hopefully five, six, seven, eight years from now, um, I, I would love to see Michael Beale back at Rangers as a manager. Um, I was quite surprised that when Gerard left, that it wasn't even mentioned. Wasn't obviously surprised in the sense that Gerard wanted to take him. I, that didn't surprise me in the slightest. But the fact that Beale's name wasn't even mentioned as a kind of successor to Gerard it surprised me a little. But he's now obviously going to go away to QPR. And as I say, I hope he finds his way back. Because if he finds his way back at Rangers, I think he's done pretty well for himself. So that that is something I'll certainly keep an eye out in uh, QPR's results um, this season. And, and, and I hope they do well. I, I expect them. I expect them to do well, um, whether that's a kind of playoff push or whatever. But um, he's he certainly as a, a top top coach from everyone I've ever spoke to about him. So yeah, all, all the best to to build there. Um, just back onto yourself there, uh, Andy. You eventually left Liverpool and you joined Barrow. Now this kind of interests me a little because you were in your early twenties um, when you joined Barrow, but you actually kind of went into a coaching role. Is that right? Um, it, well, it was it was yeah. It's a, it's a strange um, it's a strange one. So in so I signed for Barrow in the July, but the year so the start of that season no the start of that year sorry in January I'm going to say that's January 18 I think my maths is right January 18 I went to Chester. Um, the day I, oh, I signed for Chester on like a Thursday, and then I went in on the Friday morning and it all come out like the club had run out of money. Like, like they're gonna have to release a load of players. Um, they need to cut the coaching staff down. They need to literally strip everything to the bare minimum, otherwise the club's gonna fold. And I was like, fucking hell, what a day one this is. Um, so the goalie coach ended up leaving. Um, a lot of the other players left. Uh, the other keeper who I was with, Sam Hornby, got recalled from his loans. So it was me, um, a young lad, or young at the time, Willie Askeline, and Yossi's kid. He was on loan from Crew. Wow. Um, so it was just literally just me and Will. So like, I'd done my coaching badges already. Um, so like, I was literally the number one and the goalie coach kind of thing. It was it was bizarre. Um, but like, it was for me, it was a boss experience. It was my second loan, my first loan at like a, at a decent level. Um, the team was struggling like for um, the end. Of, I think we finished second bottom or something. But as soon as we lost, like as soon as we ran out of money, like the whole squad just got stripped back. They kind of just admitted they were getting relegated. Um, and just tried to save as much money as possible, basically. So um, it was a good experience for me. I loved loved every minute of it. Um, obviously, there was a lot of poor results in there and stuff like that. But for me, just to get thrown in the deep end, um, and you can't hide there. That's like there's no hiding place. You're in a in one of the worst teams in the league, and you just got to go out there and do what you can do. And I actually didn't I didn't mind it at all. Like. I think it opened up, opened up quite a few doors for me, gave me a lot of experience and it gave me that first side of like like a different side of the world. Obviously coming through Liverpool, everything's 
pretty and proper and everything's done the right way, whether it's gym and nutrition and hotels and you travel and all that. And then I remember we're playing like Dover away on, on a Saturday and we're getting up at like two in the morning to get on a bus for six hours to go and play. And it's like a different world, but um, that's, that's part of the footballing world that you need to know about because you never know if you'll, uh, if you'll ever be there properly or stay there. So um, it's always good to see that other side of it. You obviously, you, you mentioned there that you, you'd done your badges. So you obviously took that decision to, to do them quite early in your in your footballing career. Is that yeah. because you have an eye on that? Is that's what you eventually want to do? Be a goalkeeping coach, maybe even a coach or, or possibly even a manager? Yeah, 100%. Um, so you had to do, in the scholarship in England, you have to do your FA level two, I think it is. Um, so we all had to do that. Um, but there was a couple, well, a lad, Tom Brewer, he's still my best mate now. Um, so he's out in America and, and me and Brew did the same. So like Brew really wants to go into coaching and management. Um, I've always had, I've always had my eye on being a goalkeeping coach. Like I just love it. I love, um, I just love, it was just something that it just gripped me straight away. Um, so me and him did our UEFA B together. I've gone on and done my goalkeeping B licence as well. Um, and when I so my last year at Liverpool before I left they'd said oh if you want to keep if you want to start your coaching we know you've done your badges and stuff um, we'll put you through your badges if you want to help help out and do a session a week with the kids on a night or something like that and I was like yeah perfect that makes sense to me and I just got the bug for it straight away um, so did a full year of coaching in, on the nights, like one or two nights a week with the kids from like anything from like five years old all the way up to like 16. Um, and then, so when I came back from chess at the end of that season, I signed a new deal, um, signed, a, signed a year extension. And then like a week later, Barrow rang me and said, we need a keeper. We wanted to bring you in as the number one. Can we take you on loan? I was like, well, there's no chance you're going to let me go on loan. I've just signed a new deal. But um we might be able to work something out and I think in the end Liverpool just let me walk on a free um, and then ask for just a sell on like a 10% or 20% sell on something like that. They just said, look, we're happy to let you go. Um, if you want to go and play, if that's a challenge you want to go and take, then we're not going to stand in your way and Liverpool were amazing to be fair and then they let me carry on doing my coaching and stuff at the club um, but then obviously I went to Barrow and that was the Ju- July of 2018 yeah, I did. Um, that's when I went to went to Barrow, but was still uh, doing my coaching and stuff at Liverpool. Brilliant, brilliant. So let's let's talk Rangers. Um, you're obviously at Barrow. You're, you're helping out with the coaching. You're obviously the team's struggling a little financially, as you've alluded to. Um, how did it happen that the Rangers uh, transfer kind of came about for you? How did you first hear about it? And what was your role to be within the squad? So I just got a call from. I think Mick had spoke to the agent um, and the agent texted me saying um, Reigns are going to make a have a chat with Barrow and Beals is going to ring you and have a chat. I was like, you know, all right, sound. Um, so Beals, he picked up the phone and had a chat and he was like, look, we're, um, we're looking for, to bring a keeper in, in January. And this is like the start of December, middle of December, something like that. Um, and we Barrow was struggling at the time. I think we'd lost like six on the spin, something like that. Um, I'd just come out of the team like two weeks before, and and Beelzee rang and said, "Look, we need we need to bring someone in." 
Um, me and the gaffer have had a, had a good chat and we think it's something that if you'd be up for, like, you're the person we want to bring in to do it. I was like, fucking hell. Um, <laughs> just, being dropped, just being dropped from the team at Barrow and Rangers call it was a bit of a strange, strange situation. But for me, obviously, it was just the biggest no-brainer ever. Um, obviously, I knew little bits about the club. I grew up at Liverpool with a Rangers fan. Um, so we'd always would always watch the games together and he'd always tell me about the history in the past and uh, he was a goalkeeper as well so he'd just like Andy Gorham and Grieg are like his two biggest idols ever so like I knew enough or I knew bits about the club and some of the old players and stuff um, but once Beelzey was like oh well listen I think it's a deal we'll be able to do with Barrow um, basically it's up to you um, to go away and have a think about it and, and we'll let you know so I was like, yeah, I've got loads of thinking to do here one minute. So I rang me out, me out fellow was away on holiday with my mum. So I rang me out fellow and I was like, um, got a bit of a curveball here. He was like, oh, fucking hell, what have you done now? I was like, oh, no, it's actually, uh, it's all right. Beelzey just rang me, he said, Rangers want to take me up there in January. So I said, like, fucking hell, what have you said to him? I was like, well, he said, just go away and have a think about it. And he said, well, just ring him back now and say, get it done. Don't wait. <laughs> Just get it sorted, and and that was it. I spoke to Beelzey the next day, and um, everything was kind of kept up to under wraps. Um, the thing we were waiting for was that window. Andy Dallas and Robbie McCrory went on a joint loan, or they both went on loan together to Morton, I think. Um, so we just had to wait for Andy and Robbie to sign new deals and the loan to go through to Morton before they brought me in. So. Um, I think it ended up getting done towards the end of January in the end, but God, um, I've been quite anxious for you. No, you're not wrong. Like <laughs> I play, I think I was involved in my last game at Barrow on the it was like the 15th of January or 16th of January, and I had like 10 days. So I just rang the Barrow manager. I was like, "Look, this is going to happen in the next week. Um, you don't have to pay me. Like, can I just stay at home, do my own training, do my own gym? Like, I don't want to risk anything daft afternoon training and." the deal falls through and he's like no that's fine that's perfect um we've got enough keepers to get through for a week and we're going to bring someone in ourselves so um so yeah so i literally just i did my own gym and stuff but i literally was just walking on eggshells for 10 days just like don't get ill don't injure yourself don't don't, don't do anything that's so all just behaving myself for 10 days and keeping a low profile and then and then finally it all went through so yeah it was a it was a surreal couple of weeks Obviously, uh, at the time when you signed, Alan McGregor was, he'd just come back, that was his first season back, yeah. uh, he had quite a good deputy in West Fodderingham, um, as you said, Robbie McCrory was there, um, so by all intents and purposes, from the outside, it looked like you were going to come in as a kind of support number three role, um, so can you explain to the listeners and myself just how that role works, because obviously down in England it's become more and more of a popular thing to do by bringing in a goalkeeper who will literally never play but will always be there and then you hear managers like Pep Guardiola when he talks about Scott Carson and um, before that it was Richard Wright, Jurgen Klopp, you know Andy Lorehan, uh, um, he brought him in and you, you hear like Klopp and Guardiola saying that these guys are very very important because they drive the standards in training, they keep the players in front of them motivated and, and they're a crucial aspect to the team so maybe to some fans we could be thinking is that just lip service or can you give us an insight of just what that role is as the kind of number three goal, goalkeeper 
Well, just the way the game's going now, the squads are getting bigger. Um, clubs are carrying more players. Um, so whereas maybe ten years ago you'd have like maybe a fifth, like an eighteen-man squad, let's say, it's like if eleven play on a Saturday, then the next day there's only going to be like four or five players training. So like they probably just do a bit of running, no actual football. Everyone will have a day off, and then you're all back in together to train. But now it's like, especially. The, the squad was quite big when I came in. It's definitely got bigger since now I've left. Um, and just the demands at Rangers, the amount of games you play. Um, obviously, every year I've been here, we've got like, like we've got further and further into Europe. Um, and you're playing like 60, 70 games a season. Like it's it's a crazy schedule. And the squad's a lot bigger. Um, and there's always training groups. So um, it's like when I spoke to Beelzey, obviously Beelzey and... I did quite a bit of work with, obviously, trained with the gaffer when he was playing and, and then uh, did quite a bit with him when he came back to the academy to do his coaching. Um, and I just think, like, I just love football. Like, yeah. it's such an easy easy thing to say. Um, for me, um, from the minute I walked into the club, like, I was just, like, just in love. I was just buzzing. Like, you couldn't get me off the training pitch. Like, if boys wanted to do penalties, shooting, free kicks, like, some people don't like doing it, but for me, like, I'm training with Stephen Davis and Jermaine Defoe here. Like, I was watching these on the, I was in the conference two weeks ago, playing against, no disrespect to, like, like that's probably not far off. That's where I was at the time, like, playing-wise, but I got the chance to go up there and I'm training with people who played fucking, Table's got about three million Northern Ireland caps and however many Premier League appearances. JD scored millions of Prem goals and I'm like, if I can't get better here, then there's nowhere I can get better. Yeah. I've got the backing of the gaffer, I've got the backing of Beelzey. I just love the place. Like I've gone on to obviously fall in love with the club for the last three and a half years. The, the teammates I've had all the way through have been unbelievable. It's just like it was just the dream the dream place to work for me. And I, like it's hard to say what I think what they expected of me was like he knew what I was like. So even at Liverpool, when I wasn't playing in the reserves or whatnot, or in the 18s, like I'd always just, I just love training. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some people who hate training and just love playing games. Like obviously I love playing games as well, but for me, especially with Beelzey, Beelzey training sessions are always enjoyable. They're always fun. Like you just turn into a little kid again. And like, obviously there's times where you need to be serious in training and, and things like that. But like the, the sessions were always so enjoyable unbelievable group of staff, unbelievable group of boys. Um, so for me, it was just like, and I said it in the uh, in my little Instagram post when I left, like so many people tell me I'm living the dream and like, I'm, I'm fully aware I'm living the dream. Like I've lived the dream every second of the day for the last three and a half years. And um, just just that enthusiasm and, and things like that in training. And I'm, I'm, I'm quite allowed, especially on the pitch, quite a loud person I hate it when people don't try when slacking and I'm not scared to tell them um, I know everyone at Rangers is of a better level than me but the one thing I can't have is I don't care how good you are if you're walking around and tossing things off in training like I just it's never sat well with me that I'd rather have people who are willing to work hard and maybe aren't as talented um, so don't just that yeah just like make, driving the standards and not letting people slack and um and just yeah, just uh, just a lively person is probably what I'd describe myself as. Just in, 
like to have a good time, lively. Um, yeah. So, did you do any coaching while you were Rangers? No, no coaching at all, no. Um, it was mentioned when I first went up there. Um, but to be honest, just with how busy our schedule was, like it had been, it had probably been too much at times to um, to try and do that as well. Like, obviously, we playing pretty much every midweek and every weekend of the season. Um, and especially, like, I'd never, whenever there's a training group, it's always me who'd be in. Um, with either Wes or John, or if they'd have the day off after the game as well, then like either Robbie McCrory or Ginge or people like that. So, um, see, I never actually got into the coaching at Rangers, but um, that's probably something I will get into next time just because I know the next club I go to, chances are the schedule will be um, a little bit less yeah, less busy and less less taxing on you than, than the Rangers one is. The January that you signed that season, um, at the very end of the season, we played Kilmarnock um, and West Fodderham was playing. McGregor was rested and, and obviously you were on the bench. Um, Ford picked up an injury towards the end of the game and you came on and you actually made your debut for Rangers. So you've done something that many people would love to be able to say that they've done, but they can't. Um, you've actually played for Rangers, so no one can ever take that away from you. How how did that feel coming on, uh, making your debut? Um, probably not on the type of pitch that you'd expect to make your debut on for Rangers. Um, it's a horrible, horrible pitch. I'm sure you would agree, but it must have been a very proud moment for you. Yeah, just, um, yeah, surreal. Um, still sat here grinning like a little kid now, just thinking about it like, like you said, that's one thing that um, that no one can ever take away from me. I've played for Rangers. Um, obviously, it's been an unbelievable three and a half years being involved, but um, I'm so glad that I did get the opportunity. I know it was like 10 minutes, whatever it was, but I was on the pitch as a Rangers player, like in the Premiership and just, yeah, surreal. Um, and everything just worked out perfectly. Like I wasn't with my girlfriend at the time, but my girlfriend was at the game with her mates. My mum and dad had come up by the off chance because I was on the bench. They were at the game. Uh, I had five or six of my mates had come up from Liverpool. So, like, five or six of my best mates all came to the game and it was just, like, it was just perfect. Obviously, we ended up losing the game, but it was a it was just a dead rubber, basically, at the end of the season. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, just something I can, something no one can ever take away from me, something that, I'll take, I'll take the grave with me. Just, yeah. I have to say, we're, we're, we're going to, we'll come on to this bit of the, the, towards the end. We spoke offline about it, but I have to say, Andy, you're probably doing yourself no favours right now when you're saying you've got about 15 people came to watch you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everybody will have like, said, he's been a fucking tickets. <laughs> yeah. right. um, no, but as, as you say, like nobody can ever take that away from you. You played for Rangers. Um, I remember the game actually. I don't know why this game sticks out for me um, because it was, as you said, it, it meant absolutely nothing to Rangers, but it meant everything to Kilmarnock and they got quite a contentious penalty towards the end. I don't think it was a penalty. It was Borner. They get caught up in it. Um, yeah, it's never and, a pen. Yeah, and then obviously, this might sound like a weird question, right? But I'm going to ask it anyway. They're, they're taking that penalty and I can't remember if you dived left to the right, but was it actually like diving on that surface? Is it so? Like, I'd imagine it really hurts, like, especially if you land on a bone. Yeah, well, I'm, I was, when you mentioned that before about the pitches, so, like, I grew up training on Astro. When we was at Liverpool as kids, we trained on Astro every day. 
to like as a kid I probably spent more time on astro than I don't on grass um so I don't actually it's, it's probably controversial there won't be many people who agree but like I actually don't mind astro at all like I understand it's probably a lot harder for the players than it is for keepers um but it is it is quite hard and uh, and stuff like that but like we've done that much training and stuff like you kind of you know how to land properly without yeah absolutely battering yourself so so yeah uh, I went the, to be right and couldn't get there I think the conversation about the kind of the pitches especially up here is if a team's willing to invest a decent amount of money on a, on a plastic pitch you can get good ones but I see that that commandment one was I, I don't think you were here at the time I think it was just before you came but it ended Jamie Murphy's Rangers career you know what I mean it was um it's just a horrible, horrible pitch, and I think they've got like one of the cheaper ones. Uh, and like that—that's the issue we have. It's—it's—it's it's, it's dangerous. Um, maybe not, as you say, maybe not to goalkeepers, but especially to outfield players, and none more so than than Jamie Murphy. Like as I said, yeah. his career was over um, on that pitch because he kind of took a tumble and he done his knee. Um, so I'm I'm not a fan of them because of that, but if they're done right in in terms of a good amount of money is actually invested in it. I believe there is a place for them within football, but up here, you know, Kelly and Livingston, their pitches are just, honestly. Yeah, yeah just, I agree. For for the top level, for the top level in Scotland, my personal opinion is there shouldn't be plastic pitches. Um, as much as I don't mind playing on them and training on them, the quality of the football, whoever plays there, is like, it's just, it's, it's crap. Like, um, and I know the money isn't quite there for some teams in Scotland to go and get nice pitches, grass or astro, but, um, but yeah, it's, it does, it ruins, and I know it can kind of play into their favours when when the big boys don't play play in, away from home, it can it play into their hands. I mean, in Kamala's case, it absolutely did play in their favour, like Steve Clark had that down to a fine art, like that's how they've done so well. Yeah. But it's I I don't I, I do totally agree. I don't think there is a, a a place for it in top level football. Um, let's just kind of go back to Rangers. Like, see when you first came up here, um, pretty much the day you signed. Let's just say, when, and you got to see Ibrox for the first time, and you got to see the the training centre for the first time. Like, despite everything you'd heard about Rangers, see when you actually seen it first hand for the first time, d- did it blow your mind? Yeah, just. Ibrox especially, Ibrox is just, um, it's just because it's so, it's just a historical place and like obviously you go to, that's the, the summer contracts on the Friday and we did it all at Ibrox so like you're going up to the marble staircase and like in the trophy room and down the tunnel and things like that into the changing rooms and it's just like it's just such a historical place and proper uh, hair stand up on the back and that kind of job it was, yeah, still a, it's just an unbelievable stadium and like it just so historic and you obviously you alluded to it in your Instagram post as well the bonus for you was you were working with your your hero Stephen Gerrard now I I could only really compare this to I, I obviously know Stephen Gerrard's a mega superstar but it wasn't he kind of my hero growing up being a Rangers fan, like you're talking McCoyst or whatever, I could only imagine that Ali McCoyst came and says to me, I want you to play for Rangers, and then I was working for Ali McCoyst, that, that, that's how I would compare it, like for you that must have just been, it must have just been mind-blowing that Steven Gerrard was your manager. Yeah, it was just yeah, crazy to like, 
when I mentioned before, like going up to Melbourne to train for the first time, like the gaffer went out his way and like came and sat with me because I was like the only kid there that day. So we came and sat and had dinner with uh, Abby Lunch after training and stuff and just made me feel so calm and relaxed. Um, and then when he came back to the academy and I did quite a few sessions with him and I was close with the goalie coach, Ian Dunbavin, who's the gaffer's best mate. So like us three, we just, we just all got on really well and, um, I remember the day he came into the training ground at the end of oh, like May in 2018. Turns up in a blue blue suit with a Rangers tie on, and like I'd heard all the rumours and stuff, so I just went over and had a chat with him. Um, and I was like, oh, well, looks like it's all done, and um, just want to wish you all the best. And I remember I always I always remember saying like, oh, if you ever need a goalie in the future, you know where I am, Gaffer. So, and he just laughed and said, oh, don't worry about that. It must um, have in his mind then. <laughs> and then it was just, and then it was just, yeah. I never actually expected it ever to happen. And then six months later, the phone came, the phone call came, and um, and yeah, it was. It's, it's hard to explain. Like, um, I li- I love Liverpool. Um, I love the gaffer. He's my favourite player ever. He's literally the reason I I wanted to be a midfielder. And like, I just everything about him, I loved him. And then it just ended up turning full circle and. Managed to play with him, train with him, and then he was my manager. So, um, yeah, it's just been surreal. You, you, you say there, obviously, um, I think it's important that we, we speak about this. Like, you, you came up and you were at Ibrox and you were in the training centre for the first time. And we hear all these stories about one of the first kind of initiations that Rangers players get when they join Rangers is they get welcomed into the club by Jimmy Bell. Yeah. Um, and, and I've seen players from yourself to current players like Conor Goldson, Tav, uh, and then I see players like Brian Loudrop, George Albert, Sal McCoist, um, Lorenzo Amoruso, all these kind of stories about Jimmy. Um, do, do you remember the first time you met Jimmy and did he sort of kind of let you know what it meant to be a Rangers player? Player of day. Clear as day. So I trained. So I signed my contract on the Friday morning. Um, did all that. Went straight to the training ground and we trained that afternoon. Um, and uh, so I've turned up to training. I had all my boots and stuff in the car, boots and gloves. Um, but I didn't have like any under armors or like trousers or anything like that to like give me give me a little me a little roller kit. So I had like short t shirt and a jumper. Um, and I went and spoke to Raz, and I was like, Raz, where do you get, like, underarmers and that? And he was like, oh, just go and ask Jimmy. All right, sounds on then. So I went into, knocked on Jimmy's door, walked in. Like, uh, Jimmy, any chance, could I get, like, a, could I get a underarmer, please? Can we get tights off? Like, what? Can I get a, can I get tights off, like an underarmer? Like, what do you need one of them for? <laughs> like, oh, I just, it's January, it's about minus six outside. Like, <laughs> it's a bit cold. He's like, oh, Peter McCoy never used to wear one of them. Andy Gorham never wore an underarmer. Okay. So I just turned around and walked out, went for, went for a piss, went in the gym and did my bits, come back to my locker and just put like a pair of trousers and underarmor in there. I was like, all right, okay, well, at least I've got them. And then that was just Jimmy's way. No matter what you ask for, nah, you don't need that. And yeah. it'd just appear like 10 minutes later, 20 minutes, like it'll just, it will appear. But yeah, um, I had an unbelievable relationship with Jimmy. He's just, just the best man. He is Mr. Rangers for me. He's the best man I've ever come across in football. And um, 
You you honestly just don't ever hear that from Kitmans from any other club that had such a big influence on the players because everyone from fans to players to ex-players to board members um, they they were all absolutely heartbroken when when Jimmy passed, um, tragically passed and I just love hearing the stories about him because I think Josh Windass uh, said it as well he asked for gloves I think it was and then like Quick as anything, Jimmy Bell just turned on him and do you fucking think that Brian Loudrop wore gloves? Yeah. <laughs> <I> just, <laughs> that was his go-to. That's always, it doesn't matter who you are, who you think you are, there's always been someone bigger he's worked with and like, what position you are, he'll always just, if you're a winger, it's Loudrop or David Cooper, if you're a number nine, McCoy didn't want this and keepers, you've got Kloss and Andy Gore and like, it just, doesn't matter who you are, it'll just reel you off a name who's bigger than you and it just shuts you up, you just can't argue. Yeah, yeah. What was his, what was his room like? Because I know it was like a museum, but like, that must have just been wow, you know. Like, there's actually been some discussion, and I totally agree with us, is lock that room and never open it again, just keep it the way it is. So, is, um, so the kit room changed when I first went there. Um, it used to be like, it was quite small and it was split into like three different rooms. We had like a little storage cupboard over the corridor from him. And then it had the, a little boot room and then the kit room joined onto it. Um, and then they did some work in my first summer here uh, and they knocked everything through and just turned it into one massive room. It's like you had your boots in there, all the kit, all your training kit, all the storage and stuff. It was all in one room and it was lowered better because he used to have like little pictures in different rooms and stuff. Um, he'd have like some shirts up in on the wall or like pictures and stuff that old players have given him. Um, but then when it all got knocked through into one, one massive room, like it's just it is like you said, it's just like a museum. Um, and like so, we had Jim McAllis as the kit man now. So he was he was like Jimmy's right hand man. So it was Jim and Jimmy, um, and Jim's like just diehard Rangers and. Jim was like, it doesn't matter what's happening, no one's, like, he's already spoke to Jimmy's family and said, like, look, if there's anything you want from the kit room, come in and have a look, and if you want to take some stuff home or whatever, or if you want to leave it here, like, there's no chance anything's going missing, like, everything is staying exactly where it is, like, he's got all the pictures of him with different trophies from the 80s and the 90s, him with pictures driving a bus with Gazza hanging out the side of it, and all signed shirts from, from players past and present, it's, um, like you said, it's a proper museum in there. Brilliant. I love, I love to hear that. Um, I have to ask you uh, questions about some characters that you've kind of came across since you've joined the, the, uh, the Rangers and obviously in Scotland. The the one absolute character that we all love, but we don't actually know on a personal level, but you will, is Alan McGregor. Like, <laughs> you must have met this guy and you must have thought to yourself, what the fuck is this? <laughs> well, it was more what the fuck's he saying. I <laughs> will. <laughs> so, um, is, is he as grumpy as what he comes across no, on the field? No. He's, um, yeah, he's, he's, he's unique. Um, so I, I actually met Greece before I came to Rangers. Um, I went on a youth loan to Hull, who had an injury in the red, he didn't have a keeper. So I, I went to Hull for two weeks when I wasn't playing at Liverpool. Um, so I went there, that was the year 
think it was the year after the FA Cup final when they'd lost. Um, so it had been like 2015, something like that. Um, so I went there and they ended up training with the first team quite a few times. And they had a, that was like their really good team. They had like um, Harry Maguire was there, Andy Robbo, Griggs, Curtis Davis, um, Steve Bruce was the manager. They're like Robert Snodgrass. They had a proper good team. Got the FA Cup um, Yeah. So, um, so I actually met Greeks. I had like two weeks with him there, um, and he's a diff- So he's a very different person when you don't know him. Um, so like we we had a couple of chats, but like that was it. Um, and I came up to came up to Rangers, and obviously as you get to know him more, more and more, he opens up and um, and and you see the proper side to him, and he's he's fuck. He's honestly like I say this to him all the time, and I'm really close with him and his missus. Um, he's literally my hero. I love the fella to bits. The amount he's done for me in the last three and a half years. Um, his misses as well with my misses, and I'm really good mates with his with Greasy two stepsons, and um, and I'm still still speaking most days now. To be honest, he's always uh, he's always texting about golf and and stuff like that. He's been he's been unbelievable, and he has he's he's got a what people perceive him to be. Um, Obviously, everyone knows he can be a little bit lively and he likes a bevy and, and things like that. But um, And that's all 100% true. There's no denying that. But what I will say about him is he's probably the most dedicated professional yeah. I've seen. Um, and you don't get to, you don't play for Rangers when you're 40 unless you're doing something, unless you're doing something right. And, but when he's, when he's had the chance to, to celebrate a big result or he's got a couple of days off, of course, he's going to go on a... He's going to go and have a couple of pints and enjoy himself, but he's the first person in the building every day and he's the last person to leave the building most days. So um, the fact he's still as good as he is, 40 years old, um, the pressure of playing for Rangers, his team week in, week out is is um, is monumental and he's handled it all ridiculously well for the last bloody 20 years, whatever it is. So, yeah, um, so yeah he's... He's a lot different to to what you see on the pitch. He's, uh, he's brand new. Yeah. Another guy that I kind of want to uh, hear, if you've got any stories about, um, this guy used to play with Rangers. Uh, didn't really have a successful Rangers career, but you obviously worked with him for a, a couple of months um, just recently at Partick Frisso is Ian McCall. Now, he's a character. Where was he? <laughs> he, he? I mean, you're saying you couldn't understand what McGregor was saying. You must have not understand what Ian McCall was. Yeah, he's, uh, he's very lively, to be fair, very lively. Um, he was like, a, he's a proper old school manager, like he doesn't take training. Um, the two assistants, Archie and Neil Scally, took all the training and stuff like that. Um, and just proper old school, just like proper old school, just loves, if you win, doesn't say anything, just get the tunes on and, and enjoy it. And if you lose, like... He's, he's having swearing and shouting matches with whoever's fault it is. And, but, um, but no, Collie was brand new, to be fair. He was, he was very good with me. Obviously, I would have liked to get some games while I was there, but it just didn't work out in the end. But um, I, I really enjoyed my time at party. It was good. Um, good set of boys there. And just unfortunate, we couldn't quite uh, go further in the playoffs and stuff. But um, we had a good set of lads. And yeah, Collie's a, Collie's a proper character. My, my, my claim to fame is Archie's brother, Robert, cuts my hair. 
So, what does he get? I does. <laughs> um, did you know he was a barber? I did not know that, no. Oh, yeah, he's, he's, he's a barber. Sometimes Alan goes in the shop and helps him out with kind of cleaning and stuff like that. It's, it's, he's one of the laziest barbers I know. He's, his brother and his dad does everything for him. So. <laughs> Archie need, needs to double up being assistant manager of the party and be his brother's cleaner. Um, a, a couple of things that I think would be interesting to find out. Um, the first thing is when Rangers won 55, now I, I'd imagine you, you realise on the run up to actually securing 55 just how massive it was. I get the sense, now correct me if I'm wrong, but I get the sense that quite a few of you boys, um, maybe the English boys and certainly some of the kind of foreign lads, slightly underestimated just how massive this achievement was and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way I think everyone has appreciated just how massive the achievement was but you actually realise the enormity of it um, especially the day that we played St Mirren where there must have been about 30,000 of us out yeah. in the stadium like, did, t- tell, me how, tell me how some of the boys felt about that driving in and then you go for your, your pre-match meal or, or or whatever it is you do before the game, how many of these were blown away? How many of these turned around and were like, wow, this is, we were actually about to achieve something like mega here. Like, I didn't realise it was this big. Yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to say. Like, you obviously think you know what it's going to be like. Um, obviously, we were, we were in a good position in the league and, and that weekend we knew it could finish if we won and, and results went in our favour. So, like everyone kind of thought this could be, it could get pretty lively. And then we had a text that morning in the group chat saying like, give yourselves plenty of time. Ibrox is going to be pretty lively by all accounts. So I was like, all right, okay, sound. And then you turn up and it's just like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, just did not, like I knew, I expected there to be a couple of knock-up. Like, I expected there to be quite a few people outside Ibrox. I did not expect like the 30 30 odd thousand that were outside, just like party time, flares, smoke bombs, fireworks, flags. It was just like, um, yeah, it was a it was a proper experience. And then obviously you go in, and that's like three hours before the game. So you just like there's nothing worse. You walk like you drive through that, and like the blood starts pumping and all that, and and you gotta go and sit down and have a scan and just sit down and do nothing for two hours, and you're just like, oh, just just let me just let's go. I just want to. Yeah, we need to get doing something here because I can't sit there for two hours just thinking about that. But were you all talking about it when you got in? Yeah, like not like massively, because um, obviously you've you know what you're there to do. But the um, Gerald use it as a they, this is what it means to them go out there and get the job done, or did they try to kind of block that out? No, that was the day. Um, that was the day we had. Um, was it that day? It was that day. So we had a no one. The gaffer never mentioned anything. Um, we did our. We'd always have our food. We'd go for a walk around the pitch, um, just to stretch your legs, and then we'd come back into the, the canteen and have a meeting. Gaffer named the team, shape, what we're going to do, this, that, and the other. Show a few clips, and then at the end of the meeting, he was like, "Right, we need to show you this. We've got a little video to show you." Like, All right. Press his play and like. Katie, the player liaison, had texted all the players' mums, dads, wives, girlfriends and kids and stuff and told them to send, like, a little video and just say, like, look, you've been unbelievable. Wow. Or, like, personal messages from 
from the families and stuff. So like everyone's kids or mums and dads, girlfriends, they've all sent like videos in saying like, you'd have been unbelievable. We're so proud of you. You're nearly there. One more step to go on all that. And like, it's emotional thinking about it now, but like at the time I remember we walked out the room and like, everyone was just like, fucking hell. And like, obviously we knew how much it means to the fans and the club and stuff, but then you've got like 30 grown men sat in a room, like probably, most of us ready to start fucking tearing up before a game like and I remember Liverpool did something similar when when the gaffer was playing Rodgers did something similar and I'd heard the stories about it and I was like I wonder what that's actually like like your mum and dad are on the big screen in front of everyone saying something or your girlfriend and your kids and all that I wonder how that would actually make you feel and I remember just walking out of that room like fucking hell that's um it hit the it hit the hit the right place like wow that's obviously that's brilliant yeah Honestly, that that's, you must have felt ten ten foot tall when you walked out of that room. Yeah, it's just like you just got that same fit. Like as I got out of the car, you drive through all the fans, you get out of the car, and you're like, right, fuck, let's just go now. I'm ready. And then like we had that hour and a half or whatever to chill out and stuff. And then the gaffer puts the video on, and it's like, let's go, yeah. let's go. Yeah. Um. Another thing, another peek behind the curtain that I would like to kind of know about is after the Leipzig game. What what was that like in the dressing room? Like, did it sink in immediately, or did it was it just complete euphoria? Like, you were all just totally shocked and like just blown away by the 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 enormous achievement of getting to Europa League final. Yeah, like I don't think yeah it was it's a hard one to explain. Obviously, like the change room after the game was just it was bouncing just as you'd expect. Like, um, it obviously been. A really really tough week leading yeah. Jimmy and then um and then that happens obviously the little man's up there looking down on us and somehow we managed to pull that one out of the bag and yeah it was just the emotion was was crazy just still didn't really like I don't think it actually sunk in what would achieve obviously it was just it was a big European night at Ibrox like and I, I, to be honest I don't think it mattered if we was if that was the round of 16, the quarters, all, like, I still think it would have been the exact same. Like, it was a massive team. Such an emotional week losing the Kaiser and then um, just, yeah, an unbelievable night. Mm. Have you ever experienced an atmosphere like that? No. No, I said that there and then. I've never seen... I've been a Liverpool fan, so, like... I was at the Barca game, the 4-0 in the semis. I was at, The best I've ever seen at Liverpool was they beat Dortmund 4-3 in the Europa League quarters yeah, or something. What a game. Bovarin's unbelievable, like, just chaos. We go down early and I'm thinking, oh, fucking hell, we need to score four here to win. Somehow score four and Lovren scored the head in 94th minute or whatever. And it was absolute limbs. And then I just thought, this one's, like, I don't think I'll ever be at a ground where something happens that, like the whole place just explodes like that, and then Raza dinks one in the box, gets headed away, and Lonnie smashes one in with his left peg. Oh my god, that that two three minutes is probably like I've never felt like a kid so much in my life. Just like <laughs> takes you back to being a kid, just going absolutely ape shit. They put the song on, and the whole place is bouncing, <laughs> the stadium shaking. It's just like. I'm, I'm watching goosebumps. We just yeah. keep talking about it. It's I'm oh. not, I was there that night as well, and it's just that loving me for the rest of my life. Um, 
it, it was just it was just amazing. Now after fifty five was almost one against St Mirren. I remember Gerard done the kind of the belly flop across the floor. <laughs> I know that Steve carried away a lot. Um, he was more reserved towards the end, but. He was a very passionate man, and if Rangers achieved something under him, he kind of he kind of joined in the celebration. What was Gio like after that Red Bull game? Did he join in with the lads, or, or, or did he kind of stay true to his character, being more reserved, kind of just sort of kind of letting everybody else enjoy himself, and he was just sort of kind of there, but not being the, the, the kind of the the centre of the party kind of thing. Um, now, well, to be fair, after the Leipzig game, he was a lot more. Um, he was more like, yeah, he, he got he got involved more. He wasn't he wasn't doing the cleansing through through the changes <laughs> like, but he was definitely a lot more um, a lot more involved in stuff. Um, and I think especially like the way I speak about Jimmy deals, the boss has been through all that himself as a player and then coming back. So um, yeah, obviously he'd it affected him emotionally as well. What what happened with Jimmy and he got involved with the celebrations and then. Um, then they came in from the kitchen and like everyone had like a tiny little glass of champagne each, and the boss did a toast to uh did a toast to the cars and stuff and he got involved and um but yeah he's not as I think the best way to compare the two would be like as people um I'd say Stevens like just typically scouts typically English like he gets high with the highs and he gets low with the lows and. Like he's a really emotional, passionate person, and if he loves you, you know he loves you. When he hates you, you know he hates you. Yeah. Um. Whereas Gio's a lot more, a lot more neutral, a lot calmer. Um. Sometimes you don't know if it's if he's over the moon or he's angry. Like. Um. <laughs> whereas obviously with 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 Gerard, it was a lot, a lot more stereotypical British. I'd, I'd put it. Well, obviously that's the difference between their personalities, but what's the difference between their technical skills as a coach? Like, did you see a difference straight away on the training pitch with Gio than there was with Gerard? Um, and it's Gio. I, I get the sense I might be completely wrong. I'm just from the outside looking in. Um, is Gio more hands-on on the training ground because Gerard has, has stated publicly that he delegated a lot when it came to the training ground. Um, but with Gio, I get the sense that he wants to be involved a lot. Maybe not with the sessions, but in actual taking the sessions. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, yeah, with under Gerard, pretty much Beelzey. Beelzey was the one who'd done everything. Um, it was him who did most of the sessions, took most of the sessions. Gaz Mack helped as well with TC. Um, but Beelzey was usually the, the main man behind the sessions, whereas now... Um, Geo, well, the boss takes a lot more, um, a lot more of a hands-on approach in training. Um, him and Dave are the main two. Dave, Dave does quite a bit as well, to be fair. But, um, but yeah, Geo's a lot more involved in actually running the sessions and things like that than than Gerard was. That's yeah, um, yeah that's definitely a difference. And obviously, like the training's different and stuff. Um, the training mm-hmm. sessions. Tended to be a lot longer under under Gio than Gerard. Um, does, a lot more like tactical eleven v eleven and shape and things like that. Does Does Gio put a lot of emphasis on fitness because the the fitness of this Rangers team is just up on another level. Like I, I I'm on record saying that this is the fittest Rangers team I have ever seen in my life. 
And do you know what? Under Gerard, we were no slackers, um, but we've just went up a level. Like this is a proper elite team when it comes to fitness. And is that something that Gio's actually implemented? I just think it's the way they train. I think it's a slightly different. Um, just their training sessions are a lot different to um, a lot different to what the Gaffer and Beals used to put on. So um, it used to be a lot more. Uh, small-sided games, five-a-sides and things like that under under Gerard, And then most of the games um, since Gio's coming in training, most of the games have been like bigger spaces, bigger numbers, bigger areas and things like that. Um, so maybe that's that could be part of the... Because um, diff- once you're actually done pre-season and stuff, um, that's like your base fitness for the season, really. So... Um, but I think obviously once the new manager had come in, um, the sessions did change quite a lot and it was a lot bigger, bigger areas, bigger spaces. Um, so I think that's probably played a part because it was a lot of 11 v 11s um, or like 9 v 9s, big pitches and things like that uh, compared to under under the old the old manager. It was always used to be like five sides a day before a game or six sides, all small, short and sharp things rather than bigger areas. Yeah, because my, my, my best mate is, unfortunately, he's a Celtic fan, and he actually said to me, if there was six weeks left of the season, Rangers would have been on to win the league, and, and you know what, I actually have to agree with that, because Celtic pretty much ran out of steam, whereas we were going up a gear, and up a gear, and up a gear, and I mean, there's no more kind of evidence of that than the extra time um, games that we had to play, you know, uh, yeah. Celtic, Hearts, Frankfurt, and we, we looked to fit our team in all those games um, and it was just an incredible end of the season and, and I'm very, very excited getting into next season just to see if we can maintain that standard throughout a whole year. Um, yeah. But, you know, I think I I think um, I think we're in safe hands with Gio. Um, a few sketchy moments, but I think he's found himself now. Um, so hopefully it's exciting times to come. Um, Hope so. A few, there's a few questions from the subscribers, and then I've got like a wee kind of fun teammates, you know, that soccer AM ripoff thing mm-hmm. that I'm to do. Um, yep. But one, que- one final question for me, which we did speak about offline, so obviously I had to make sure that you, you were already speaking about it, and you, and you are, is um, there's obviously a little bit of controversy surrounding you, and it's, it seems to be a lot of kind of rumour and innuendo. Um, I think you quite happy you're quite happy to clear up any bullshit around it and that is obviously yeah. the the tickets um now i'm not going to be a hypocrite here and kind of say like, people have said this people have said that i'm quite happy to tell you my view on it now my view was i've got no problem with you get, being given the tickets at all i really really don't the issue that i had and it'll be interesting to hear if you and the other players actually agreed with, with me or, or not is the amount of tickets that players and corporate got other the, the, rather than the fans was the issue I had. I, I didn't think that didn't sit well with me because I think that that actually affected the atmosphere the fact that Rangers were only given seven and a half thousand when you know it could easily have been nine or ten thousand and I, I, how, how did you guys feel about that? So it was just it's a strange one so the thing with the finals is um I had the same, I went to Madrid as a Liverpool fan um, and obviously Madrid was a much bigger stadium so 
it didn't get affected as much. But you obviously you wait for quarter there, pretty much quarter the stadium, so you get a quarter Rangers fans, quarter Frankfurt fans, a quarter go to neutral, so anyone can buy them, and a quarter go to corporate. So like, obviously most of the neutral ones will get split between Rangers and Frankfurt, but then all the corporate ones are just businessmen from whoever sponsors you wait for your Heinekens and Adidas and X, yep. Y, and Z. Um, so you'll always get people who are just there on a business trip or a day out or whatever. Um, I fully agree that they need to fix, they need to sort something out. I don't think the stadium was big enough. No. Um, because Can I ask you, put, sorry Andy, can I ask you, yeah. just before we get into this actually, because it's literally just came to my mind, I've not written it down. Um, were the fans, uh, sorry, were the players aware with the issues with the fans, with the water and stuff? Well, I was in with the fans, so yeah. I was there first-hand myself. Um, so the lads who weren't in the squad, we went in with the, we was with the players, like the families and the wives and the kids and things like that. So um, I was there with my mum, my dad, my missus. Um, I was walking in with like Griggs, Griggs's missus, Cheryl. She had her two kids, Connor Goldson's missus with the young kid and his dad and like all the family. So we just got dropped off on buses outside the stadium. Um, and just got kind of left to our own devices. So um, it was a shit show getting in. It's the worst game of football I've ever been to, like, organisation-wise. Yeah. And, like, just a shit show from start to finish. Um, finally got into the stadium, and it was after, like, 20 minutes. Um, obviously, it was ridiculously hot. I've been jumping around, singing and shouting like an idiot, and I was like, I need a drink here. I'm, I'm burst. So I went downstairs, um, and my mate was at the front of, like, pretty much at the front of the line. So I just ran up to him and said, oh, do us a favour. I get a bottle of water. And he was like, oh, do you don't have any? I said, what? Wow. I was like, oh, well, just get us a Coke or a Sprite or just get us something fizzy. He's like, oh, you can have a non-alcoholic Heineken and that's it. Wow. I was like, oh, okay, sound. I'll have two of them then. And this is like, this is no word of it. That's about 20 minutes into the game. And I was like, fucking hell. So I had got them to, went upstairs. And just like shared them with mum and dad. And come half time, like I genuinely felt like I'd played 120 minutes myself. Like, I, like as soon as the half time whistle went, I've never been so happy to just sit down and be like, fucking hell. Just dangerous. Just, it was ridiculous. Um, yeah, just a shit show from start to finish. Yeah, they're just, just absolutely dangerous. Uh, sorry, sorry for cutting you off there. So, so basically. Hey, you're obviously saying that the the allocation um, needs to be fixed. I think everyone agrees with that. Um, and is that kind of more of the is that is that the the opinion of the players as well? Like, were you disappointed that only seven and a half thousand were getting in? Yeah, because like that's just to see at Hamden. Like I think the semi final, the atmosphere for the semi final was absolutely ridiculous. Like I like I was sat pretty much on the halfway line, just behind the dugout, like. All their fans to the right, Rangers bouncing to the left, and you're just like, this is a proper fight. Well, it's not even a final, but like it just felt like a final because yeah. it's the it's the old firm. You're at Hamden, 50-50 split. Like this is what it's all about in Scotland for me. Like they're the they're the games where like the like the allocations now in the league. Obviously, both sets of fans only get seven eight hundred to travel, um, so you don't really get as much of a it's hard for the away fans to be heard sometimes. Like, obviously, when they score, you hear it, but you can easily get drowned out. But when you split it down the middle, 50-50, big stadium, and it's like, this is proper. And I know UEFA's different because it's, it's 
a massive competition and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, it's the f- like, I know, it's, I know football's a business now and it's becoming a lot more of a rich man's sport and things like that. But we're there for the fans. Like, yeah. I know it's the biggest day of the players' lives and their families and their mates and whoever else has gone over. But like, it's the biggest day of quite a lot. Like, I know they went to Manchester in 08, but like, who knows when we see Reigns in the European final again? Like yeah. and that's not me being pessimistic. That's like no, no. It no. was one of the best, best experiences of my life being involved in that. And like, it was just, it was a shame. Obviously, the football side, but I don't even. It sounds stupid. I've not even really thought about the football because the day was that bad. Like how, whoever's fault it is, I don't know if it's the Spanish police or UEFA or whoever it is. I'm not here to point fingers, but. And then it wound me up as well. Being a Liverpool fan, a lot of me went for, mates went over to Paris, and you see pretty much the same things. Like yeah. I've not was French police are a shit show. Exactly, probably worse. Yeah, pepper spraying fans and like just coming out with lies, whether it's politicians, policemen, you wait for everyone pointing their finger and blaming the fans. And it's like, well, but how can it? How can the two biggest European finals two weeks apart both be an absolute shit show from start to finish? Yeah, um, it's it's just ridiculous. And obviously, um, you were accused. I think it was before. I think it was for the the semi final actually that you gave a ticket to a a gamer, a, a game, a streamer or something. Um, and also there was an accusation that you sold a a Europa League final ticket for over a grand. Um, well, before you went in. Um, what, what have you got to say about those those accusations? Well, it's just. It's funny. I know the lad who, who got the ticket. I still don't know who he got it from. Um, the lad Flux. Like I know him. I'm not like mates with him, but um, I know of him. I saw him and his him and his missus managed to get tickets. Um, and that was the first time I'd like I'd, I'd heard about it. My Twitter started going a bit mad. I was like, what the fuck's going on here? So like, ended up finding what the problem was. Apparently, I'd given Flux and his missus a ticket, and I hadn't. So of course, a bit mad. This and then Flux messaged me saying, "Look, I'm." I don't know what's going on here. I'm sorry you've been involved in this. Um, it's just people just love causing arguments and shit like that. I was like, oh, listen, lad, fuck all to do with you. Like, just go and enjoy yourself and and whatnot. And then, and then it was like a week. I think it was after the final. The next one was like someone had kept commenting on the Instagram picture saying like, you're a fucking rat. Why are you selling tickets for two grand for the final? I was like, what? So I literally messaged him back. I was like, what are you going on about, lad? Like. What, what's your game here? And he was like, I know what you're up to. You sold a pair of tickets for two grand a pop. So I sent a, I screenshotted the email from, I had an email from Katie at the club. So like, we all got a list of how many tickets we had and you had to fill all your information out. So it was like name, date of birth, address, passport number, all that bollocks. So like I just screenshotted that and sent it to him. I was like, so go on then. That's my mum, that's my dad, that's my missus. And he was like, ah, oh, well, you must have had spares and you must have managed to get some more because you've sold them for two grand a piece. And I was like, oh, listen, lad, well, there's my proof. There you go. Someone else pipes up on Twitter about it and then it's changed. It's like, oh, you you charged 1,200 quid for a ticket. And I was like, well, it was two grand for two tickets a minute ago and now it's 1,200 quid for one. And then someone's coming up with old Fern tickets that I didn't go to myself because I couldn't get any tickets because I wasn't in the squad and you only get two weeks in the squad because the allocation's that low. And I'm like... Everyone's coming up with these mad rumours and every time it's a different number, it's a different game, it's a different number of tickets and no one's actually, everyone's just pointing the finger at me for no apparent reason and, and every time someone said something, 
I can prove I didn't buy any tickets for Celtic. I can prove how many tickets I got for the final. I can prove who they went to. There's a picture of me, my mum, my dad and my bird in the ground together. There's me four tickets. Like, tickets were absolute gold dust and I understand people were paying over the odds and people couldn't get tickets and all that, but just find it really weird that people would start just throwing mad lies out there just to... Like, so, I don't get what anyone's getting out of it. Is it safe to say that it's 100% bullshit? One, hand on heart, mother's life, it is 100% bullshit. From my experience of being a Rangers fan, um, I would say to you that if Rangers won that Europa League final, you wouldn't be having these accusations. There always needs to be someone to blame for something. Um, and I think that's what's happened here. As I said, my issue was never with you. You you got what you were entitled to and, and that's totally fine. You've not done anything wrong. My issue was the allocation of the tickets. Um, I'm quite happy to say that to you, but it's 100% no issue with you. You, As I said, you you, you got what you were entitled to. So when I seen the rumours, I thought, I, I did think no way. I was asked a question what I thought about it, and I said I don't think he's done it, but I, I don't think that the allocation is, is what it should be. But that that's just obviously my opinion. You've kind of... Yeah. You've kind of agreed with me there anyway, but um, no, there's no way I ever thought that you were going to fleece fans of thousands of pounds for tickets. Um, and and as you say, if that genuinely did happen, someone somewhere would have proof of that and nothing has came to light. And um, it's just, as I said, from my experience of being a Rangers fan, I think it just comes down to the fact that we get beat and somebody needed to take the brunt of the frustration of some people because... Um, yeah. Don't get me wrong, Andy. Like there's um, you, your experience at Rangers has only been kind of three, four years. I've yeah. I've been involved in this now. I'm 32, so pretty much all my life. And and not every Rangers fan is perfect. Let's put it that way. So we, we, it's it's just the the nature of 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 an old fun fan, I would say. Um, but no, yeah. I'm I'm glad you had the opportunity to clear that up, and and hopefully now. Um, the idiots, because that's what they are, they are idiots, uh, just kind of leave you alone with that kind of stuff because it is a bit unfair. Um, I've got a few questions here from subscribers, three questions. Ross has asked, do you plan to stay in Scotland? Um, well, I'm, to be honest, I'm obviously, my contract officially finished yesterday, so um, I am a free agent. I'm free to do as I wish, basically. Um, I've loved every second of being in Scotland. I love the city. Um, Glasgow is just like Liverpool to me. Like I fell in love with Liverpool, became an adopted scouser, and I feel like I'm an adopted Glaswegian. I love the city to bits. Um, hard-working, working-class people. Whenever you go for food or if you go out for a bevy or whatnot, whether it's Rangers or Celtic fans and me, like they're all brand new, down to work, love to have a chat. Everyone just wants to talk about football, and um, I've genuinely loved it to bits. Whether I stay here or not, that just depends on on what offers come in and what opportunities arise in the next uh, next couple of weeks or next month or so. So um, I definitely wouldn't say no. I'm definitely leaving Scotland because if the opportunity is right in, in Scotland, wherever that may be, then I'm 100% happy up here. My missus is from here. I met her up here. So um, I know she'd be more than happy to, to stay in Scotland as well. Um, or if the opportunity comes to go back down south or to go abroad or whatever, then, then I'm... Because it's just me and the missus, I've got no kids, I've got no real um, no real restrictions on where I can and can't go. Like, 
me and the missus are ready to just pack our bags and, and go wherever we need to go. Or if we can stay in Glasgow, then I'm also happy to do that as well. So, um, so yeah, just depends where the, uh, where the right option comes from and the right offer comes from and just take it from there. Brilliant. Um, I've actually got a question on the back of that, what you just said there. Rangers draw Liverpool in the Champions League next year. Who are you supporting? <laughs> so this is this is funny, this. It's really interesting you say this. So um, obviously I do my Twitch and stuff, so I love playing COD and all that. Started streaming and um, one of my best mates from, from Liverpool, he's always getting involved and stuff. And he's pretty much the only Liverpool fan in there because most of the people in there are Rangers fans. So um, they were asking about the final and stuff like that. Um, and someone asked me the question, they were like, go on then, would you rather Liverpool win the Champions League or Rangers win the Europa League? <laughs> and I was like, this is actually the easiest question ever. Like, I'm a Liverpool fan and I always will be. When I was when I was at Rangers, I loved every second of being there. Obviously, I'm a Liverpool fan. But I was like, well, I've been to Madrid and watched Liverpool win the Champions League with my own eyes. And it was good. Like, obviously, it was a boss holiday, boss trip. Loved every second of it. But that's not a patch on what I experienced with 55. Like, I was in the building every day for a year. Watched the staff and all my teammates go to war every day and, and go and do something that still probably I haven't realised the magnitude because I won't realise that for another five, ten years when you look back and you go, fucking hell, that was big. But even now, I can look back and go, like, that St. Mirren weekend that I would weekend was like probably my six best days at Rangers like the three days mm-hmm. the Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday both weekends was just like just stuff of dreams like memories, experiences everything just nothing will ever come close and I'm just like it's just obvious if I go to Seville as a Rangers player and we win the Europa League like that will top I, I genuinely think that the top 55 it would top absolutely yeah. everything I will the chances of me going to European final again as part of a squad are very, very slim. Hopefully, maybe one day, touch wood, something might happen. But if if that had gone our way, like that had just been it, had been untouchable. And I've, I've watched Liverpool win it before, and there'll no doubt be in a final again in the next couple of years, the way the squad is at the moment. But um, for me, it was the easiest option ever because I had 100% of had Rangers, Rangers in Seville all day long. And in the end, I got fuck off because they both copy. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't, uh, wasn't ideal. I can't help but notice that you'd never answered the question, though. <laughs> Rangers play Liverpool next year. Who oh, you if Rangers play Liverpool next year. I'm still, I'm still Rangers. Sorry, I'm still oh. Rangers. It's Ooh. one of them. Like you I'm a Liverpool fan, but like they're like I'm just a fan. So it's yeah. a difference. Like it's, it's hard to explain. I try and explain to my mates all the time. Like. It's dishing out like they're my a lot of my best mates are on the pitch. Like it's like I'm me and Razor have been really good mates since we were ten. Like really close with Greasy and Scotty Arfield and Jacko. Like I'm watching I'm not watching Liverpool, I'm watching my best mates on the pitch there. Like and it's just it's hard to explain. Like I'd much rather them do well for themselves. Yeah. Like It'd just be that'd be massive for them if if we played them in the Champions League or Europa League or whatever next season. Like it's still all my best mates on the pitch. Like obviously new people will come in this season that I won't know, but the ninety nine percent of the team will probably still be the, the players I've shared the dressing room with for the last four years. So hundred yeah. percent. 
Totally get that. Totally get that. William William has asked, uh, "What's your biggest memory being at Rangers?" Oh fucking hell! Um, I don't know if I'd be able to pick one. The three would be obviously debut fifty-five, and then probably that last that last four days. The last four days they had there. So obviously the Wednesday going to Seville, Jimmy's funeral. And the cup final on the Saturday, that was like, that was a different, different feeling. But like, just a, like that three or four days, like getting getting to say goodbye to the little man, winning the winning the cup at the weekend, having the experience in Seville. Um, but you'd have to, I'd have to say fifty five, just because of we stopped the ten, unbeaten all season, like, and it just felt right. Like it was horrible. There was no fans there, but um, it was just everything just fell into place at the right time. And to go full season unbeaten, breaking defensive records left, right, and centre, and winning every single game at Ibrox. Like it was just, yeah, incredible. Yeah. Brett has asked, how good is the Rangers training centre, and could it sway a player into signing for Rangers? Well, when I first came here. Um, the gaffer had done a lot of work in fixing a few bits up that he wanted to get better. So I did sorted the gym out, um, put a brand new canteen in, fixed a load of the stuff in the dressing room. So even since I've been there in the last three years, the dressing, uh, the training ground got a lot better, or even better. Sorry, it is a it is a proper facility now. Um, it's I I think it's one of them. I think it, it obviously it plays a part, but. For me, just eyebox. Just watch the video of Rangers versus Leipzig on a Thursday night, and if that doesn't make you want to play for Rangers, then you fuck. Yeah, I would, I would, I would agree with that. Like uh, as much as the training grounds nice and all that, like other clubs will have nice training grounds, or even like the Premier League clubs, a lot of them might have even better training grounds. But the one thing that there's not many clubs anywhere in the world can compete with is eyebox yeah. and the fans. Absolutely. Um, and we'll finish it off just doing a quick kind of teammates thing here. Um, you don't really need to elaborate too much. Um, I'll just ask you, obviously, a question and you just give me the answer. Who's the, yep. most, who's the most skillful? Oh. I'm going to have to say... Uh, it's got to be Joe, Joe or Raz. I, I can't. They're so different in how they do it. I, I could even throw Glenn, Glenn Kamara in there because you, Glenn, you literally Glenn. can't get the ball off him. But then, them three, them three are in a different league, just like, rather when he gets you 1v1, it's game over because he'll just sit you on your ass. But Joe and Glenn's feet in the way they can get out of some positions in midfield and, like, it's fucking frightening. Like, Joe's goal against Braga, like, oh, wow. he gets the ball and just dances and dances and, like, it doesn't even look it doesn't even look comfortable or natural sometimes, but like he knows exactly what he's doing and he will find a way to get past you and you will not tackle him. It's yeah. just them three. Kamara, you're right about Kamara, like he's just so classy. He's had a bit of stick this year, but um this is his best goal scoring season for Rangers and, and I don't think that's any coincidence because Gio's played on a wee bit fuller forward and I'm a massive, massive fan of Kamara. Um I love yeah. all Players we just mentioned there are Rebo Kent and Kamara, but um, Kamara, I'm glad you said him. Who's the fastest? Raz. 
Yeah, I don't think that's... Is there any truth in the rumour that before he left, it, it was uh, Brandon Barker? Tell you what, he can fuck his shit, by the way. That would have been a good race. That I don't think I've ever actually seen them two go uh, them two go, go at it with each other. But yeah, Barks was a bullet as well. I'd, that would have been a good race, that. <laughs> Who's the biggest Rangers fan? You'd have to flip a coin between Dave and Greaves and let them two scrap it out. Oh, what about Jack? Oh, yeah, Jack as well. Shit, yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, them three then. You'd have to. I can't I had, pick. You could, I, had pick between them three. I had Monty and McGregor. Um, who's the funniest? Oh, oh fucking hell, where'd you start? Depends what you need. Depends what you need. Raz is funny as fuck, just causing mischief wherever he goes. Buff refuses to speak English, even though he can. And whenever something's happening, you know he's in the middle of it. Um, <laughs> And if, if you're having a pint, then you're having a pint with Greaves because it's just fucking comedy gold from minute one. Who's the moaniest? Moaniest? Connor Goldson. Oh, <laughs> big con all day. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, him and Tav. Him and Tav. Tav? Them two love a little... Yeah, him, and, him and Tav. Especially, especially, especially them two together on the pitch. Do you know what? The best thing about lockdown was you can hear everything on a football pitch. And like obviously you can sometimes you can see people like having a little bicker in that on the pitch, but like it literally goes on for ninety five minutes every game. There's always someone moaning and arguing at someone else. And when there was no one in the stadium, you could hear everything. It was fucking brilliant. You can hear Greg screaming forty yards away at the ref, and Tav and Connor and Jack were all popping at each other on that right hand side, and Raz and Buff arguing with each other for not passing. And I used to, oh, fucking loved it, me boss. Was um is, is John Lundstrom getting a bit of a reputation for being a bit of a moan? Because you, you see him kind of he's always talking on the field and there, there was a video um in the old form semi final where um Bassey goes to help I, I think it was Hatati he goes to help yeah. Hitati, and there's Lundstrom running through <laughs> the like, fucking film like I love that yeah he's not he's not much of the, he's just aggressive like is um. He's always been like he's always been. I'm pretty sure he's always been a captain. Like, yeah, he's a captain at Oxford, and um, he was a captain for a bit of Sheffield United as well, or vice captain. And like, he is a proper leader, like yeah. old school, proper scouser, unbelievable yeah. player as well. Um, <laughs> but I wouldn't have him as a not an actual like he does a lot of shouting and talking, but I wouldn't say he's an actual moaner. Brilliant. What's dressed? Oh, big Phil. Hollando? No, no questions about it. Big Phil, fuck me. Give me we've some had some, things. Uh, we've had some, we've had some laughs watching him walk in the changing rooms, like just mad. Like Buff wears, Buff wears his mad, mad Colombian trackies, like Nike and Gucci and some <laughs> mad colours and stuff like that. But like, if he had them in normal colours, they'd be just normal clothes. Yeah. Just like like bright colours and mad colours, whatever. But Big Phil, just proper interesting, like. Baggy cord kits and fucking big baggy shirts and but like all like top designer gear but like just really just interesting Swedish up. choices. <laughs> um, who's the best dressed? Ooh, I I would say I, I I don't know what he dresses like, but just off the top of my head, it would have been Balogun surely. 
Yeah, big. He's yeah, not like he's not so. I've never seen him wear something I'd wear, but he wears like he's in with the fashion kind yeah. of thing. Like his missus is a model. He's into like his designer gear. In Yanis is similar as well, like designer gear. Um, things I'd never ever even dream about pulling off. But yeah, both. I think if I was going like if I went for someone British, like who who special. Like if you're going out and going for a coffee or going for a meal, and that Jacko's usually bang on the point. Similar, like just steady, Eddie, safe, nothing too, <laughs> nothing too wild to, uh, nothing too wild or anything like that. Who's got the best taste in music? Ooh, uh, Scotty Arfield. Uh, Arfield does about your music buff. Um, he's a fo- yeah, he's a music encyclopedia. I'll tell you what. Little shout to Scotty Arfield. What a singer and guitarist he is. Really? Really. Yeah. Like, we had, um, at the end of last season, at the end of 55, he brought his, um, he brought his guitar and, and stuff like that, and he had a little, had a little sing-song and just rattling them all off. Just He just taught himself. There must uh, be footage in us somewhere. Do you know what? I actually don't think I've got a... I'm not even sure I've got a video of it. Someone must have a video, though. Yeah, like I remember um, someone sh- showed me a picture of me and him stood up together singing. But I don't know if there's actually a video of it, but yeah, he can rattle all all this typical like Oasis and and the Beatles and stuff like that. Often I'm a Beatles and Oasis man, so for oh. me, I just it's me all over that. Who's got a worst taste in music? Ooh. see, I'm not down with like all the R and B and and no. all that stuff. Yeah. So I'm throwing they're all in. Them three are all together. Joel, Glenn, Calvin. Terrible. And Nandy as well. Them them four, actually. If you're in the gym and them four are in, you just know for a fact it's just going to be fucking crap music the whole time. <laughs> um, is there anybody in the, the, the team that is, like, in heavy metal? Surely Ryan Kent. Surely. Well, do you know, do you know what, right? He's, he's genuinely the weirdest person I've ever met in my life, Raz. I can imagine. But, yeah, like, that's not the hard bit to believe. But if you put him on the music right, this is no word of a lie. He can go from, like, a bit of Bruce Springsteen to, like, wrestling music, like D-Generation X and stuff like that. And then he'll go to, like, Snoop Dogg. And then, like, his music knowledge is absolutely incredible because his old man likes all the old stuff. Like, he's into all the... Like the sixties and seventies music, and then, but he's also into like the brand new R and B and grime and stuff like that, and he's he's just mad, just weird. A few few more questions. Um, who's your best friend? And and the team. You know what? You know what? Someone actually, uh, someone asked me about this a couple of weeks ago, and then it was only yesterday. And the missus was like, "Who's the people you'll miss the most?" And I was like, "Will you tell me the answer? What's your answer?" And she she was there. Her answer was bang on the money. Ryan Kent, Ryan Jack, Scotty Arfield, Alan McGregor. Them four for me. Brilliant, brilliant. Who's the most boring? Ooh. Um. He's boring. Um, I, I I get the sense that uh, Big John McLaughlin just likes to keep himself to himself and drinks a wee coffee and. It doesn't say much. <laughs> Tell you what. Tell, no, he, he keeps himself to himself and he fucking, he drinks more coffee than anyone I've ever met in my life. But now he's, um, it's different because, because he's the keeper. Like, we always get 
a lot more time together. So some of the boys, nah, because John's always involved in, we've got a darts board in the changes, so he's always up and involved in the darts. I'd probably go, oh, for me, I'd probably say someone like, if I said Yanis, because he's not someone I was ever like, like that close to. Um, so I'd probably say, and, and Borna, Borna keeps himself to himself. Like, he's always in the gym and, or in the pool or... Um, He's not someone I've ever I've ever spent that much time with. Does Big Bomber ever talk about his dad? Huh? Do you, I take it you don't know what I'm talking about. I'm going to Scooby Doo. What are you talking about? <laughs> Google it. <laughs> Basically, um, this is quite a revelation if you don't know us. Basically, Bomber signed for a team in Croatia, and um, he didn't get a game, and then the president disappeared. Fucking hell. Yeah, Google it. <laughs> I don't mean right now when we come off. <laughs> okay. It's quite a, it's quite a, <laughs> it's quite a story. Um, who's the teacher's pet? Under under Gerard, that's got to have been Goldson, surely. Ooh. Mm. See, right. I think if you're talking about if you're talking about the old gaffer, the answer is probably major because like he could have told me to fucking do anything and I'd have done it. <laughs> but, but yeah, Connor, Connor and Connor loved the gaff as well. Connor was a Liverpool fan as a kid as well, I think. So I think Connor was like in a similar thing to me, like he just loved he loved the gaffer and then she were uh, were dead tight, yeah. Are you able to are you able to sign any light on how close Connor was to actually leaving? I'm not, do you know what? I've had a few conversations with Connor about this. Um and his his whole approach was exactly what he said on his thing, like he knew his contract was up and he knew that he had options and offers and and whatnot. Oh, well, that's a, that's the way I'd see it. In a no doubt about options, uh, most championship clubs, probably teams in the Premier League as well. Um, but I just think with how busy our schedule is, like you don't even get time to sit down and think. Like even I, I didn't find out what was happening with me until like the Monday after the Scottish Cup final after the season finished. Like everyone's that busy. We're playing that many games. Obviously, we've got through to the FA Cup final and the Europa League final. Like, and I just think you just wait and see what happens because, like, it's all right thinking about what's next, but it's more important to think about what. Like, Connor shouldn't be, and he wasn't. Connor wasn't thinking about, oh, what am I doing next season when he's about to go and play in the Europa League final with Rangers? Like, this is a yeah. potentially a once in a lifetime thing for him. So, I think. He's one of that. He's fell in love with the. It's impossible not to fall in love with the club, especially Connor. He's like, is the best signing Rangers will make this summer, in my opinion. Like, uh, I know we've already got him, but he gets. He can get quite a bit of stick on on social media at sometimes, Connor. Um, but he's rattled off like 230 games in four years. He's been absolutely f- incredible for us. Like, I can't speak highly enough of him, and I'm absolutely buzzing that. Um, that the club have kept him and he's decided to stay here because um, I think going forward, if you've got Connor in your team, you need, in my opinion, Connor's night on the first name on the team sheet every week for me. is incredible for us. Just on the kind of contract situation, um, how settled is, is Ryan Kent? Like, does he love it here? And do you think, in your opinion, that he's looking to leave Rangers at any point or is he pretty much loves it here and it's not on the agenda? 
Yeah, it's not really too much. Not something I've spoken too much about. Like obviously, there was a bit of interest a couple of years ago when Leeds came sniffing. Um, I think they'd just come up to the Prem, um, and they came sniffing. But like Raz, Raz knows he's loved here. Like the fans love him. He's happy here in the city. Um, but that's it's a hard question. I don't know what what Raz is thinking. Um, because it's one of them. You can go somewhere else thinking this will be amazing and you get more money and you're playing in the Prem, but it might not work out for you or the fans might not be having you or you could go there and be the best player. So, like, yeah, it's, it's really hard for me to... Uh, that's obviously a question for, for Ryan rather than me, but just for um, me, I think he was, uh, he's, he's definitely good enough to go and play in the Prem. Um, I think there's no question about that. But my, my thinking would be, well... All right, money, money's the money will sway you. The Premier League will sway you, but I don't think he'll go anywhere in the world and be loved more than what he is now. Would be would be my answer. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you don't mind, just after this is finished, just text him saying that he has love, just to remind him. Uh, <laughs> it'll take, take him about three months to text me back. <laughs> um, couple more questions. Who's the best trainer? Ooh. I'd flip a coin between. Ooh. My first, the first person that comes to me is Jacko every time, just because he's old school. Like Jacko or Connor Goldson would be my two. Who's a worst trainer? Hmm. Ooh, worst trainer. That could depends what mood he's in, but it could be both. Both <laughs> can be uh, can be a bit slack in training sometimes. Yeah. Um, and who's the hardest? Big, it's got to be Big John, hasn't it? Yeah, I'd say. But, you know, I would pay big, big money to see Lundstrom and Morelos in the ring. <laughs> that's, 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 a, that's, that's box office. Yeah, that'd be, uh, I don't think Buff's got the, uh, I don't think Buff's got the, the fitness to keep up with Lunny like. I don't. I don't think it. But there's just one punch. In it. <laughs> yeah, that's very really true. Actually, yeah. Was he Was Morelos actually like uh, on a personal? Hilarious. Hilarious. Really, I, really good fella. Was good. Is it like so? He can understanding this from what I can from what I take of it. He can understand English pretty much perfectly. Um, but. Sometimes he just can't be asked speaking to certain people, so he'll just like <laughs> no intiendo and just pretend he doesn't understand when he does. Um, but he's honestly is hilarious. Like he only speaks, he speaks decent enough English. He can get by, but like the certain, like Raz, Raz and Scotty can speak a little bit of Spanish, and like I can understand some of the stuff he's saying. Most of it's like completely inappropriate. But, um, but yeah, he's just fu- he's a funny, funny fella. Yeah, it seems to be like this is a happiest he's ever been. Is would that be accurate? Yeah, I'd say obviously not. Not since like it's hard now. He's injured, but I think he definitely got a he got a, a new like lease of life off the new manager. Um, I think the fact that him, the manager and Roy can speak Spanish, so it's a lot easier for him to. To go yeah. direct to the manager and, and ask questions and have like a, an easy an easy personal relationship kind of thing. Um, I think that's definitely played a part. Um, but yeah, obviously, 
I'd say obviously 55 when he was on fire that season, like was was up there as well. But then the Europa League run uh, this season and when he was banging the goals and he was, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that's pretty much it. I, I got a text message. I was I was telling my mate that I'm actually um, speaking to you just now. And he's he said that he's asked if he could ask a question. I says, go ahead. And he's asked, um, what did the players think about the whole controversy about the add-ons to Sweet Caroline um, when quite clearly you just didn't sing what was dubbed on that TikTok and then it went to a parliamentary investigation? I know, it's just, it's just strange, wasn't it? Like, you just must have been pissing yourself laughing. I know, it was like, I don't get... People, the uh, technology these days is getting, is getting very advanced that you can pretty much do what you want and... Like, I'm just glad that obviously he went to the investigation. He got squashed straight away because someone's dubbing different sounds over the top. And but does, does, does it surprise you just how hated Rangers are within Scotland when it comes to from the politicians to the public to institutionalised hate? It's Do you get it? Do you understand it? Or is it just something that you just, if it's not, yeah, you, you don't? You yeah, don't. you definitely understand it a lot more. Like, to being a Liverpool fan, I'm, I've always been kind of the same. Like, everyone hates Scousers. That's just the way it is. Um, and then coming to Rangers, it feels even... It just feels the exact same. Like, um, and obviously the famous ones, same soon as no one likes us, we don't care. Like, and it's it's so true. Like, I, the, the one that really stuck out to me this year was Calvin Bassey not getting nominated for Young Player of the Year. And I'm just sat, I like, I'm ready to snap my phone when I read that. I'm like, what the fuck am I reading here? Like, I don't know who won Young Player of the Year in the end. And I, think I don't want to know because it was Calvin Bassey, and that's the answer. I think it was Calvin Ramsey. I'm sure was it was. It? But he, yeah. good player, what but Calvin, yeah. nowhere near the real Calvin. Yeah, no, like, no disrespect to whoever won it, but I know games get football's a game of opinions in it, but. Um, what Calvin's done this year, um, like from not really playing much last season to like first taking the left back spot off Borner and keeping it, and then moving into centre half and keeping everyone else out of the team, whether that was Phil or Leon or whoever else. Like whenever, whenever we played a game, Calvin played like and at 21, 22 as a young defender, having not played much last season, that was. For me, Calvin Bassey, hands down, was the young player of the year. Yeah, no, totally agree. Um, that, that's that's us, man. You've, you, you, honestly, I was just saying to my mate, um, just still, like, I, I've interviewed quite a lot of um, ex-Rangers players. I've, I've done Craig Moore, Natural Novo, Tony Vidmar. Um, I'm probably missing a few. Um, done a few personalities as well. Tom Muller, who I'm pretty sure you're, you're aware of, the Rangers calling. Yeah. Um, I've done a few. I'm, I'm off the top of my head. I'm missing a few. I know I'm, but like this genuinely is the most open interview I've ever done. Um, I, I, it's probably the best interview I've ever done. Um, it's not because of me. It's because of you. I think you've been absolutely fantastic. You've no. You could easily said no. I don't want to answer that. Or you could easily gave a sort of kind of politician's answer. But you, you've you've pretty much been open and honest about everything. And it's been funny. It's been insightful. And it's. I feel. I feel personally, from my point of view, as if I, I understand and I, 
I know this Rangers team a lot better now, having spoken to you. Um, and that means that whoever listens to this will, will, will probably feel the same. So I honestly can't thank you enough. I'm just looking at the time there as well, but it kind of won one hour, 50 minutes. And, you know, that's that's your own time. So I really, really appreciate that, Andy. Thank you very, very much. No worries.